welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Collingswood, where we want to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs, or wherever God has placed you. Find us at libertycollingswood.org. Part of our mission is preaching sermons, so here you go. Keep in mind that these messages are designed to bring the timeless message of Jesus to bear in specific contexts to specific people. The whole eternal word, changing worlds thing. Would you hear good news here? Bon appétit! Well, hello, everybody. I am not a special guest. I am just Jim, but I am joined here with special guests Courtney and Abby. We'll be hearing them from them in just a moment as we continue to talk about racism and systemic racial injustice in our country, followed by a brief homily drawn from Romans chapter 12. I'll go ahead and read the verses, and we'll do the standard thing of we'll have a call and response, prayer. We'll do a short version of a sermon before having some dialogue. So please follow along as I read these words. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, we give you praise that you've gathered us in these spaces once again, and as we consider your holy word, the holy scriptures, Father, would we be molded by this infallible truth that is given to us for all time. And also, Lord, thank you that your word is living and active, and it speaks to us even today. So, Lord, speak to our hearts, speak to our world. Thank you, Father, that even as we continue to engage a topic such as racism, we're able to know that your grace is sufficient for these things. And Father, we thank you that the kingdom of God that has broken upon the world through Jesus' crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension, Father, will continue all the way to the new heavens and new earth where there will be only justice all the time. So Lord, fill us in these spaces, we pray. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. So, we have been talking since last week about racism and systemic injustice here in our country. Eric was giving some announcements about other things that are going on. Just a couple brief remarks for me here from Romans chapter 12 as we continue to move ahead with considering these things. And so this passage from the Apostle Paul, written after Jesus is crucified and resurrected to the church at Rome, we have a couple of different things here that relate to the question of racism in our country. And I believe if we take a look here at Romans chapter 12, remember too that I said last week that there are plenty of passages in the Bible that are directly about racism, but then there are plenty of others, including from the Gospels for the past couple of weeks, including here from Romans chapter 12, that have rich ramifications, rich applications 
towards this set of questions. And so looking at this passage here, we are able to see a vision cast for fighting racism from a place of freedom. The apostle puts it this way, verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. So if we would seek to live in harmony with one another, I think it's pretty obvious that racism, systemic injustice, gets in the way of these things. So let's press ahead. And we can have dialogue even when people are on slightly different pages, even when we don't have all the answers, but entering spaces of sometimes awkwardness, sometimes discomfort, but for the sake of healing and growth and change, we can do that if Paul, for example, says here at the end of the passage, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. If we can do that for our enemies, surely we can have gracious conversations among brothers and sisters, among friends. And we do so from a place of freedom. As we seek to pursue these things, it doesn't ultimately depend upon us. Earlier in the passage, Paul puts it this way. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. So we are doing our best to try to make progress on these issues so far as it depends upon us. But we look to God as our redeemer, creator, forgiver, sustainer, and judge. Again from the passage, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. I don't have to have the final word on any of these issues, no matter what it is under the sun, but we know that God sees, God knows, God judges. And so even now, we look to that triune Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and would seek to make some first downs with courage. End of passage. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's what the Church of Jesus Christ, one of the ways of putting what we're called to do. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And after all, isn't that what Jesus of Nazareth did on the cross for us? He was seemingly overcome by evil all the way to his crucifixion unjustly at the hands of Jewish people and the Roman Empire. But then Jesus overcame that evil act through his resurrection, being our substitute for sin, that by believing in him we would be forgiven, and knowing that the resurrection life bursting forth in and through Jesus by his rising from the dead is that kingdom of God of justice and hope and peace all the way towards making a new heavens and a new earth. So even in this little passage, we have some resources for fighting, combating racism from a place and sense of freedom, but then also we're able to weep with those that weep. We have it at the beginning of the passage. Rejoice with those who rejoice, and realistically, sometimes that might be the easy part. But more than that, we're called to weep with those that weep. I've said a couple of times here during this Lenten season, whether publicly to a camera and to a podcast or privately conversations with friends, I understand that in these 40 days plus change here at Liberty Church Collingswood, we are not going to fix the race problem for all time in our country, but we want to press ahead. We want to grow. We want to grow in sharing burdens and sharing pains and sharing sufferings and trying to do something about it 
we want to grow in terms of understanding and empathy that the headlines that we see and the textbooks that we read, they aren't just headlines, they aren't just textbooks, but they're people's lives. And so with that in mind, we are happy to hear from Courtney and B, good friends of mine and Emily's. Thank you for wading through that homily right there, and here we go. A couple of questions for them. Let's hear from, these, from this dear brother and this dear sister now. So, Courtney, since the murder of George Floyd last May, a lot of people have used the phrase racial reckoning for what's going on in our country right now. But could you share with us some of your own backstory in terms of reckoning with racist realities for yourself over a number of years? Yeah, sure. So, uh, in many ways, I think it's nice that more people are concerned about racism now. Um, mm -hmm. It seems that many people who didn't talk or seem to care much about racism or racial injustice are beginning to do so now. Um, although sometimes it does feel like it's the cultural thing to do uh, or to be talking about that sure. right now. But I can say for myself, um, I live in that space. It's not just a topic of conversation for me because it's my reality. When I'm treated unfairly or unkind, I will often wonder if it has anything to do with my color. Uh, but I, I think that it's, that is the inevitable outcome of having your color, so to speak, be the object of so much attention your entire life. Hmm. Um, there's this conditioning taking place that feels poisonous in so many ways, a conditioning that alienates you from the majority and causes you to feel unsettled and very often sad. Um, and so what I mean when I say conditioning like in my own life is this. Um, as a young child, I grew up in a, a very white, central New Jersey town. Uh, I remember when racism was talked about in school, it was often told to us children that racism or discrimination is treating someone differently because of the color of their skin. Um, so six to seven-year-old Courtney looks around and sees that she is literally the only one with different skin. Um, I felt little in that moment, obviously an outsider and obviously the only one that racism and discrimination was meant for. And so you can copy and paste that same scenario year after year. Um, and that's what went on outside of the home. At home, we were often kept from being too kid-like because after all, if you acted a certain way, white folks may call the cops on us uh, under no circumstances could we give those white folks a reason to confirm their, their assumptions about us. Um, and too kid-like really just came in the form of running while we're in the grocery store, um, talking too loudly in public, or just bringing any attention to yourself at all. Um, these are the things that I personally experience, and I understand that all black people, all people of color, uh, have their own story. So I think it's extremely important that as like this remains the hot topic, so to speak, that we don't deviate from hearing from black people when we're discussing racial injustice and its cures. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that, Courtney. And you mentioned the phrase in what you said, that was the thing year after year. So what are some of the ways in which uh, those patterns have had longer term formative effects upon you? Yeah, it's a good one, Jim. Um, <laughs> quite frankly, it's hard for me to say fully. Um, mm -hmm. I live in this skin and, and, and I walk in these shoes. Um, but some things I've noticed in myself, like through relationships and difficult conversations and honestly the work of the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. um, has oftentimes been resentment and I still sometimes a lingering feeling of of not belonging or being the odd one out which I think tends to birth pride uh, and then that fuels that resentment 
Um, and I had this conversation with the B just the other day uh, that I've taken some time to address like how the effects of slavery on my great-grandparents caused them to parent their children in a very specific way, um, a rather heavy-handed way from what has been shared with me from elders in my own family. Mm -hmm. um, and that was passed down physically and mentally within our family. And some of the harmful ways of thinking and feeling from being slaves and suffering under segregation has impacted even me generations later. So I asked the B, and I wonder, you know, what unhealthy or harmful ways of thinking and feeling have been passed down to the descendants of slave owners? Um, hmm. Surely they didn't escape this hideous time of our history unscathed. So I think that's something we all need to confront and wrestle with and just get real about. Yeah, for sure. And this is living history, things that didn't happen thousands of years ago, but just a couple of generations ago and continue to this day. So again, thank you for saying. And so here at Liberty Collingswood this season, we're using words like listening and lament to unpack and engage issues surrounding racism. Uh, from the death of George Floyd at the end of last May through the insurrection at the Capitol, Courtney to be on January 6th, what have you been feeling? What's been going on? So I'll go first. <laughs> um, um, so I didn't watch the video of George Floyd, uh, just like I didn't watch like the murder of many other black people at the hands of police or white renegades for a while now. Um, I just can't bring myself to do that. When things erupted after George Floyd's murder, I was furious. Uh, what made me mad was that now people wanted to care. Uh, and maybe, maybe that isn't like a great way to say it, but that was my most raw and, emotion, um, and real emotion. Mm -hmm. I was angry. Uh, it's possible that some of that had to do with having to explain myself and my emotions and my blackness, even in my own marriage during these difficult times. Uh, it can be tiring trying to pinpoint what it means to be oppressed in your own life. It's frustrating to not be understood and for your spoken words to be the uplifting or the damning of an entire group of people. Um, and the assault on the Capitol was just ridiculous. And honestly, more proof of the perceived threat um, that my skin portrays in this country. Hmm. And I was shocked and even maybe a little, little vindicated as I watched video after video of white people running into the Capitol building and not being met with any sort of police resistance. Um, you know, like with the murder of George Floyd, there was this moment of, you know, we've been saying this injustice and this mistreatment is real for so long now. And then with the assault on the Capitol happening just months later, there was this, month, this moment of, you know, we've been, telling, um, we've been telling you there's a clear difference in how we are treated in our discontentment and in our anger versus how they're treated for a long time now. Mm -hmm. um, it it kind of feels like, you know, finally maybe the country is awakened to some of the things black people and people of color have been calling bull on for quite a long time. For sure. Um, my perspective is slightly different from, from most in the church. Um, I was kind of focusing on some of the um, lament and uh, empathy-related re failings uh, mm -hmm. that I've had, but I'll give some sort of background here. Uh, so I'm an immigrant to this country, and uh, the events that precipitated my family's uh, decision to immigrate to the United States centered on communal strife. Uh, Hindus and Muslims had a history of conflict, and that had boiled over uh, to such a degree that it resulted in these groups uh, virtually warring in the streets and burning each other's homes down and their places of worship. Um, and so it had become very unsafe to live there, uh, and, and to such a degree that my aunt, who lived in the U.S., uh, asked that we move here. Uh, but that kind of civil strife 
uh, was the norm in issues such as poverty, illiteracy, uh, mass unemployment, uh, no health care. Uh, those kinds of things just sort of exacerbated the situation and it felt as if life was on edge. Uh, so part of my reaction was just shock. Uh, you come to America because this is one of the few countries uh, where democracy functions, at least relatively speaking, far better than almost anywhere else in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, so the insurrection at the Capitol was utterly unbelievable and, and shook me. Um, I mentioned this because the, the reasons for moving here are so positive. Uh, and America uh, has a very positive uh, view in the world. Um, and so you hardly have the opportunity to think about America's history. And in my case, uh, specifically the ongoing reopening of wounds that uh, Courtney was experiencing and the emotional distress that she was going through every time uh, events like George Floyd's murder or the assault on the Capitol erupt. Uh, and in those moments, I'll admit it, it's difficult to listen. It, it was difficult to listen, let alone lament with your spouse. Uh, and empathize with those that are hurting. Uh, what made things worse uh, through the pandemic, I was more dialed into my phone uh, and, and looking down, lured by clickbait uh, very often, mm -hmm. rather than seeing the very people in my own home, uh, my wife especially, who was experiencing a great deal of angst. Um, and at that, don't, at that moment, uh, she didn't need statistics to consider, uh, but a loving and lamenting husband. Um, and so something I've had to reconcile over the last few months, over the last year, is that although America is objectively speaking a much better place to live, um, it is not only flawed, it is like me in, in need of a savior. Hmm. Yeah. Th thanks for saying it, B. And one of, the, one of the small learning curves for me, and we've talked about this, as a majority culture, a Christian, is growing in empathy as some of these really horrible headlines come down the pike. And I'm embarrassed to say that in an unreflective way, until say the last year or so, when racially charged violence occurs, uh, for me not to take it too hard, that, 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 that speaks to some advantages and privilege that I have that uh, others, uh, people of color, don't, don't get to have. So it's, it, it's worse than just, hey, the Sixers lost, oh man. That, that, that's bad news, uh, but, but we can move on, and, and these things are much, much deeper, and there's a lot of ways in which we can and should grow. And so, Courtney, uh, what do you think is hardest for majority Christians to get about racism? Uh, what do they, uh, what do we, do you think, need to hear? Um, so, I guess when you not only treat an entire people as subhuman, but... Mm -hmm also build a forgetful nation on their backs, uh, the lasting trauma is greater than we're willing to wrestle with. I, it's not simply that we were slaves. It's also that we were dehumanized during and after slavery and Jim Crow. Um, our grandparents and parents were raised by people who underwent severe trauma to which no therapists were offered to discuss or to work through those deep scars. Mm -hmm. So as with any trauma, those wounds permeated through all aspects of their lives. Um, including parenting. And this is some deep stuff. Like, you know, racism isn't erased from the heart of this country simply because the N-word isn't being dropped regularly or the use of other derogatory words is no longer the norm. Um, it's in how we are raised. I mean, the universal we, you mm -hmm. know, like, for instance, um, when you see a black person in jail, is there not an assumption or a preconceived notion of what these people are like? Um, when the only people 
that you know our children see in movies or TV shows as heroes are white, or the good children that they go to school with are only white. Are we not creating blinders? You know, living unaware is walking past the wounded traveler, and that's not what we're called to do. The concept of not seeking out diversity um, is so foreign in my circles, but I have to say amongst majority Christians, I have not heard this come up as, as, as a concern often, if ever. Hmm. Um, when I'm looking for like a home on Zillow, I check the diversity in the area. Uh, <laughs> um, I want to know I won't be in a sea of all white people or in a sea of all black people. Mm -hmm. I want diversity for myself, and I also understand uh, the impact that's going to have on my children. I don't have the luxury of living unaware of my cultural surroundings. Um, I need to ensure that my children know who they are is beautiful, lovely, precious, and normal. I cannot do that without diversity being a priority. Uh, so something I would say to majority Christians that they need to hear is to take stock of the diversity in your own life. Are we truly living as if there is no Gentile or Jew? Uh, this applies not only to race, but to political views, religions, you know, so on. Um, it's more fun, and many times it's a lot simpler to be in a sea of the same. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think that's, I don't think that's what we're called to do. Yeah, thank you, Courtney. And for what you've just said, your words are very powerful, but then also very well nuanced as well. Uh, just as we continue to try to learn and unpack some of these categories and how to think about some of these things, how is what you just said different than what we'll hear sometimes the line, why can't we all just be colorblind? Right. Um, well, for one, um, I'm prioritizing diversity because I understand that that's where growth occurs. Mm -hmm. um, but also, like Paul referencing there is no Gentile or Jew, had more to do with the leveling agent that is God's grace and nothing to do with the desire to remove cultures or words or appearances that are uncomfortable to acknowledge. Um, assuming a colorblind mentality, I think that's simply like refusing to appreciate and enjoy the good right. that is in differences because it's mm -hmm. easier to do that than to get to know what's foreign to us. Right. Yep. Courtney, thank you. Thank you for saying. And so continuing on that thread, what are some things that majority culture people do or say that can cause you to feel triggered or defeated? Uh, what makes you want to say, I'm done. I'm done trying to talk about these things and uh, try to make some progress on some of these issues. It's funny that you say that. Uh, I'm sure Courtney has felt like that um, in, in communicating with me. That is a sort of uh, sense of defeat uh, when we've talked through some of this. Um, I don't feel defeated. defeated uh, think because my context is so different. Mm -hmm. um, there was prejudice based on color when I lived in India, and I had often been at the receiving end of it. Uh, but what worried me there was not the pervasiveness of prejudice, but lack of opportunity. Um, it, was misplaced it wasn't misplaced fear because uh, we saw poverty everywhere, and it was uh, dire, unlike what you would see in the United States. Um, and you know, there were slums for miles and miles out right outside our home where the average life expectancy was uh, about 40 years of age. Mm -hmm. um, so in, in many ways, coming to America presented a lifeline. Um, but I'm not defeated uh, probably more because God is sovereign. Uh, and I think that's uh, what gave people like Frederick Douglass hope, mm -hmm. uh, a slave who had escaped the South and became a founding father of this country. Right. Um, last July, I read The Meaning of the Fourth of July for the Negro. 
a speech he gave in 1852. Uh, in one part he says, standing with God in the crushed and bleeding slave on this occasion, I will in the name of humanity which is outraged, in the, in the name of liberty which is fettered, in the name of the Constitution and the Bible which are trampled upon and disregarded, dare to call in question and to denounce with all emphasis I can command everything that serves to perpetuate slavery, the great sin and shame of America. Uh, this is a rather damning condemnation uh, of America. Mm -hmm. And he says this because he believes it is his duty as a Christian. Uh, and because he believes the work of abolishing slavery needs to be done now and mm -hmm. can be achieved uh, in this country. Uh, I think Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, retains that same kind of hope um, and, uh, and belief uh, over 100 years later. Um, so to me, if these guys can be hopeful, I think we can retain that same hope in God. Hmm. Uh, and just to continue this thought a little further, um, much of the discussion um, in, in the church uh, unfortunately imports language from the broader culture rather than exporting beneficial language uh, to culture. Um, and I find the language of the broader culture to be wholly inadequate in creating harmony. Uh, this is what Martin Luther King Jr. recognized. Um, and from what I can tell, deliberately used theological categories uh, and therefore didn't miss the mark on race and the quest for unity and equality of all people. Hmm. Uh, unfortunately, we think of ourselves as white Christians or Asian Christians or black Christians. Uh, and rather than growing in our new identity as Christians, we allow the most immutable characteristic, right? The characteristic you have no control of uh, to color everything else, hmm. pun intended. <laughs> Very good. Um, so for me, um, I think whenever I hear pushback to Black Lives Matter, I get triggered. Um, when someone says something ridiculous like, you know, black people kill other black people all the time, or mm -hmm. the police just shot a white man the other day, um, I know that, that that person is speaking from a, a pure place of ignorance. Um, I do realize what a black person walks through uh, in their life is something so many people aren't privy to. But when you don't seek to try to understand, but instead say things like that, you show how little you know about what it's remotely like to be black in America. So my thought is instead of taking a political stand when hearing the words Black Lives Matter, instead ask the person who's saying Black Lives Matter, you know, what does that mean to you? Hmm. You know, get familiar with their walk in their skin, because I'll say it for all of us to hear and know, it doesn't matter what party line um, you do or don't vote along, black lives do matter. We matter, our children matter. And you know, there are moments where I feel like the majority will never get it. Um, they'll never seek out diversity in their schools and their neighborhoods like, like my family and so many of my friends do. They won't prioritize different faces in their spaces mainly because they don't have to. But when I think of the gospel, I'm reminded that there is so much more to who we are. And I'm reminded that I am to love and that my own perception isn't perfect. I'm reminded of my humanity and my own deep flaws that, I, that keep me from getting it um, mm -hmm. in ways that stretch far beyond me and my racial brothers and sisters. Yeah, well said and thank you. And I have, I have hope for these conversations too. Uh, one of the key theological categories, but you mentioned Dr. King in relation to theological categories is reconciliation. Uh, Jesus died to reconcile us back to God. Isn't that, a category that we can mine and use and freight with some of these 
really hard issues as we seek to be reconciled to, to one another as well. And we're going to unpack some of these things. I don't know if you two know we have a podcast now at, at our church. Uh, so Courtney and Abby are going to be our guests on the Post Sunday Blues uh, podcast that's going to drop on this coming Wednesday morning to hear more. But let's wrap up with this question here. By the end of Lent, uh, as you both know, we're, we're asking individuals and families each to take a step of consecration as it relates to racism and systemic injustice. It's going to look different for different people. We're, we're not forcing people to do one thing or another, but encouraging them to do something. Are there any such steps that you'd recommend? Yeah, I thoughts on, on a couple of things uh, in areas where you know, certainly I want to grow in as well. Um, I think one part of this step of consecration might be engaging in our communities. Uh, there are many good organizations and people who have been a presence in minority communities for an extended period of time in doing the hard work of uplifting those that are marginalized or hurting on a daily basis. Uh, I believe engaging in the redemptive work in areas where minorities are suffering is a good place to start uh, and something me and my family can certainly do to engage in as well. I think the other part might be education. Um, but I have a sort of a caveat here. Uh, I might be a different in this view, um, but I find many of the contemporary voices on race rather inadequate. Uh, not that I've heard every single voice, um, mm -hmm. but it appears that some have simply taken the advantage of the national focus on race rather than being constructive. Uh, much of the literature re recommends doing away with America's institutions, uh, but that's certainly not the spirit in which Douglas or Dr. King write. Uh, and speak, um, despite one of them being a slave and the other one put in jail. And as an immigrant, I can recognize the consequences of withering down important mediating institutions like the church, uh, despite how flawed they are. Um, and that is calamitous uh, and affects the least of these the most. Sure. That's good. Um, so I guess what I would encourage is that we all, especially majority Christians, um, just educate yourself on one U.S. event that was fueled by racism or white supremacy, and then tell someone else about it. Mm -hmm. um, I urge you, if, uh, if you have children, to tell them about it. So uh, last week, I was transported back in time a little bit. Uh, my oldest daughter, Madison, she learned about slavery recently in school. Um, now, as a black parent, I knew it was wise to speak with her about it before, uh, before her teacher did at school. And there are reasons why. Uh, but either way, the, this day always comes for all of our children, and it goes like this a little bit. Uh, Africans were taken from their homes in Africa. They were put in slave ships. They were brought to the United States where they were sold, bought and sold as chattel to white plantation owners. Mm -hmm. And that's the basic story that we all hear. Um, and so as I, I was talking to Madison about how hearing about slavery in school made her feel. Uh, and she told me she was embarrassed. And now I'd just like for everyone to just think for a moment. You know, how, how do you respond to that? Um, I told her I felt the same exact way. Uh, I shared how I was in a class of all white children when I learned, uh, first learned about it in school, and I felt bad. It felt bad. Like, I then told her that it, it says nothing about her as a person, that her ancestors were enslaved. Hmm. Um, and just let me ask something else. You know, could you tell what day slavery was talked about in school? Um, was there a visible weight on your child? Did you take the time to explain to your child the history of your people and your country from that perspective? Did you answer dis difficult questions? Did you run it through your parenting filter a thousand times to make sure you said it right, 
to their very young and very impressionable minds? Did you worry about saying the wrong thing that could potentially blur their self-image and their self-worth? Did you think about talking to them about this at all? And if you did, did you choose not to because it was too hard? They were too young. You'll just wait until they can understand better. I had no choice but to tell my daughter Madison about slavery and racism at seven years old. I had to prepare her, in a sense, with loving and thoughtful words, whose aim were not solely to teach a topic on a long curriculum, but to lovingly walk her through the first stripping of her innocence. And answering difficult questions, I honestly felt unequipped to respond to. <laughs> Why would they do that? Why are cops not protecting us? How can people be so evil? It's easy to talk about racism and slavery and Jim Crow, inequality, police brutality, unjust justice systems from the victim's perspective. And maybe it even provides a safe distance between us and the crime, but is that the best way? I'm not convinced it is, but I will also say, as I had to tell my child, your ancestors being slaves doesn't define you and that you are defined by your character, so too everyone ought to tell their children. Tell the raw truth of our country's hateful past and the blind present, but tell of the promises we have in Christ, the call we have to love all, and to help those hurting. The call to see others is better than ourselves and that they too are defined by their character. And may all our character represent more of Christ. Courtney B., we don't take for granted your willingness to have a conversation like this with so many of us in the room and in virtual spaces. So this has been a gift to us, and we are grateful. And so we wrap up our sermon discussion for this morning. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, could that have been the best sermon ever? Eh, the odds are strongly not in its favor. Still, thanks for listening, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also check out our version of a preaching after party, the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem, on the same podcast feed, where you can go backstage with the sermon. Live, speak, and serve at you later.